Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. I'm Megan. I am Lauren. And we are here to give you the spookiest psychology. (laughs) The spookiest of psychology, as is our clever name that we worked very hard to come up with. Yeah, I remember us talking about it, like, what should we call it? And we're like, "Eh, it's not that creative, but here we are. Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren was our one and only idea. Here Here we are. are. It took took literal seconds of our lives to come up with. Very spooky stuff. So thank you all for being patient with us. We've had a very hard time sticking to an uploading schedule lately. So like we're working on it. Thanks for being patient. Sorry about the completely random episode drops. (laughs) But at least on Halloween you got like two. So that probably kept you busy. You got two, but then it's been like three weeks without one. So maybe I should not have put them both out there at the same time. But whatever. Whatever. You like it. If you still are listening at this point, you're definitely down with our like type B personalities. We're very, which is strange because I'm actually very type A. I am too about about most most things, things, but not this for some reason. Very casual about this though. Um, Well, and I think also just like obviously we have to work to make money, so that that does have to take precedence over this. Absolutely, you know, bills to pay, things to do, gotta feed our pigs and dogs. Yes, we need money for cheese. Always. Always. Do you do... Lauren needs money for lactate for all the cheese. cheese. (laughs) Do you do any fun (laughs) advent calendars? I feel like you do. Speaking of cheese, we are doing the Aldi cheese advent calendar. Second year in a row. Yeah, we did it last year. It was my first ever advent calendar, and I loved it uh, because it's just... uh, 24 days of cheese so much to you get a new little ounce of cheese every day so at the end of the day we we split our cheese we split the little cheese in half and uh celebrate advent cheese style which is pretty great that is great do you have to keep it in the fridge okay which is kind of exciting to open up your fridge and there's like a gift every time (laughs) it's just cheese yeah we we like cheese probably too much but that's okay who doesn't if you don't like do you cheese, guys, let us know. Yeah. Do you guys do anything? Any advent calendars? I haven't since I was little. We used to do just, like, the chocolate ones. But I know, like, when you're an adult, there's, like, all sorts of, like, fun ones you can get. Like, the cheese mm-hmm. one. I want to say there's, like, a wine one that you can get. There's wine and beer. There's, um... I've seen champagne ones. I've even seen, I think Aldi has a Vista Bay sparkling uh, seltzer advent calendar because Aldi has given up on every market except for millennials. And we thank you for it, Aldi. Keep keep the Vista Bay coming. They actually are selling Vista Bay ornaments. Yeah, they are. Which I I definitely want one. Do you guys have, like, ornament traditions that you do? To be real honest with you, um, it's been a hot minute since we've um, put up a Christmas tree. Because the girls aren't to be trusted around Christmas trees. Ah, that's Um, fair. So we do have a very tiny one that we put on the kitchen table and we still put ornaments on it. Cute. But, yeah, usually they're, like, pig ornaments. Aw, that's very nice. Mm-hmm. We um, 
We did. When we first moved in together, we bought, like, just a big starter set of ornaments. That's good. From Target. And then we each bought, pick out an ornament every year. Oh, um, fun. Which is kind of fun. So we're trying to, like, grow our family collection of ornaments. We do a real tree every year because... I grew up with fake trees. Tim grew up with real trees. And the real tree thing is just way more important to him than the fake tree thing is for me. So he won that one. So we get a real tree. We always name it. We come up with weird. You've probably seen since you follow me. Maybe I'll post our tree name on my professional Insta. Please do. Uh, but we always name our tree. And then we... Um, yeah, we do ornaments. So we actually, I ordered us a first year married ornament off of Etsy. Oh. So we officially have that, which I'm pretty excited about. Well, I'm excited for you. I love this for you. Yeah. I was, I was always saying, like, I wish we, I would have liked to have a first year engaged Christmas ornament because i think they're fun however we got engaged on christmas eve yes. so that was a bit difficult to find a first christmas engaged ornament <laughs> find it immediately on, <laughs> on christmas day um so yeah we don't have one of those but we have our first christmas married and i got one that has several elements of our wedding on it so it's kind of cute i love that that's adorable what are you what are your guys's like fun like holiday traditions i love hearing about traditions so i mean okay i i'm a huge christmas parent i love christmas so much um so we're, we're we've been creating our own so yeah big families we have a lot going on but actually the one that we have created entirely for ourselves is we started celebrating orthodox christmas oh. as well as Christmas and so my husband is Eastern European and they have you know the Russian Orthodox Church we're not Orthodox but um kind of as a nod to his heritage we've started doing Orthodox Christmas so what we do every single year Orthodox Christmas is two weeks after Christmas and so we celebrate every year and we get each other a gift but we just get each other you know how every year if you make a list if you're we're list makers because we got big families Same. But, like, when you make a list, there's always one thing that wasn't even expensive, and it's, like, the thing that you really, really wanted that nobody ever gets for yes. you. So that's the thing that we get for each other. Oh, that's smart. Every Orthodox Christmas. Um, so last year, actually, for Orthodox Christmas, we broke the tradition. We got each other our wedding rings oh. for Orthodox Christmas. So, And we thought it would be a nice tradition, especially, like, because that one's just ours. So we celebrate Christmas with the whole family. Orthodox Christmas is just the two of us. So we've discussed in the future if we have children orthodox christmas would still just be the two of us and that's when we would exchange gifts oh, cool. and then christmas day being more so we could kind of have our own holiday so that's our little one is we've made orthodox christmas a small celebration just the two of us and it's always like this i just want this one thing that no one got me so get it for me it's like random 20 dollars presents or whatever um and we're also big stocking people mm. so we go very crazy on stocking stuffers and um an unintentional christmas tradition i don't know how this happens every year every single year 
we end up posting something on Facebook that for some reason somebody completely misinterprets as a pregnancy announcement and then we have to clarify that I'm not (laughs) pregnant. Um, Like one year we got an ornament that was... um, It was a nativity scene, but made out of s'mores. So there was like, you know, Mary and and Joseph and baby Jesus, but in s'more form. And somebody thought it was a pregnancy announcement. And it's just like, that is obviously like, they're in a, there's a marshmallow baby in a manger. I don't know why we think this is me. And then we also had one year, um, our stockings, we have a stocking for Gotham that we put jerky in for oh. her and it has a little paw print on it but it's a small stocking so somebody else thought that was a pregnancy announcement so every year people think i'm pregnant that's a fun holiday tradition and then i have to be like i'm seriously not pregnant everybody like this is just gotham's stocking oh my god i mean please for me when you do have a child please have your pregnancy announcement as a nativity scene where you are Mary to miss jesus <laughs> You can borrow the pigs for your manger. I like how in this Tim is baby Jesus and not Joseph. (laughs) They'd be very confusing. Is it obvious? I haven't been to church in a long time. (laughs) Lauren clearly has has stepped away from the church. She no longer knows who Jesus is. I think I got confused confused by Tim's hair, to be honest. (laughs) Tim's hair. Yeah, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, my husband's hair is is very long, uh, very, very, he recently told me, like, oh, I think my hair is starting to get long, and, like, your hair is, like, a foot and a half longer than mine, it's pretty much all the way down his back right now, and he is a six foot three man, so there's quite a lot of back to go down, um, so he has beautiful long hair, so I can see why that would be confusing as jesus is often portrayed as a white man with long hair which just historically inaccurate very um (laughs) but but no tim's hair like do you know beauty and the beast like when beast turns into a human that's tim that is i've always said that he the man is a disney prince and yeah that's pretty much uh he also has many qualities of more like a disney princess than a disney prince because the princes usually just don't actually say anything or like move the plot along at all no they're not like a super important part of the story until they get married at the end but uh yeah he's a bit he's got the hair for it he does and animals love him there you go i do Oh boy! What about your your holiday traditions? I'm also realizing that I haven't eaten today. Ah, that's um, problematic. Um, <laughs> I might grab a little snack for, for recording because yeah. my stomach really hurts. Yeah, go for it. Um, so as far as holiday traditions go, um, we started doing um Christmas Eve at our house, and that's a big deal because like we've never hosted like a holiday before so usually my husband will make some sort of pasta which is exciting i love all the pasta that he makes um and it's it's kind of funny because we have like a, a smaller home so what we do is we pull the kitchen table into the living room and then we'll put on a fake fireplace scene and just eat dinner in there um and then another tradition that we do is before Christmas, um, we'll do present wrapping, and we always listen to August Burns Red's Christmas album. So it's like a metal Christmas album. It's very exciting. Of course, yeah. 
Um, yeah, and I would say those are probably like the two biggest ones that we do. But I'm very, I'm very open to traditions and especially like thinking about like the future and like having a kid and stuff. Like I would like to have like little traditions for them. That's why I love hearing about other people's. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also a fun thing when you're forming your own family to like get to choose what you keep going. Yes. With. Totes agree. Yeah. But yes. Well. As a kid, what was your favorite holiday tradition? Um, I think, I don't know, I just remember being, like, most excited about, like, coming down the stairs, like, Christmas morning and, like, seeing, like, all the presents around the Christmas tree. Um, Mm -hmm. I also liked, we would get Christmas pajamas. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that, too. Mm Mm-hmm. What was yours? Yeah, we would get Christmas pajamas, too. Um, But it was great, because we would do... We always did, like, a Christmas Eve service. So we'd have my mom's family's holiday party, then we'd go to a Christmas Eve service. We would come home, and we would get our Christmas pajamas. Because we would get them on Christmas Eve, and then you have to wear them. And when we were little, my mom would make them for us. Like, she would make us matching pajamas. When we got older, she'd just buy us whatever we wanted. Um, and so we'd all put on our Christmas pajamas and watch the Muppet Christmas Carol. So we did that every year, and it's become a really weird family thing, because you know how, like, Rocky Horror Picture Show, there's random shit that you yell? Mm -hmm. During it, we're like that with a Muppet Christmas Carol. Like, we literally have, like, family jokes that you have to say during the songs. I love it. And different things, so it's kind of evolved, so... You know what? I feel like you have talked about this. I think maybe during our Krampus episode. Perhaps, yes. Yes, because I remember being like, oh, that's fun. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, sweet. I love it. But, yeah, so, I mean... You know, thank you guys um, for, you know, just continuing to listen to us. I feel like our stats have gotten insane. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely want to give a shout out to a bunch of people. Um, one is... We have so many people to give shout outs to. <laughs> we, Y'all are the best. You guys really, like, rock. One is Katie Nelson. Um, Katie sent us, like, the sweetest message just being... Um, you know, uh, just sharing that, like, she really liked the podcast and just offering to help us, like, with research. And, you know, although it takes us a while to record, like, we're actually good with the research part. But we just appreciate you, Katie. We love hearing messages like that. It definitely makes us feel encouraged. It was so sweet. It was so sweet. Um, we had our Canada gals that we've been talking to mm-hmm. that have been very helpful with our questions regarding things happening in Canada. They've been very helpful um, in the discussions of house hippos, which, man, I wish were a real thing. Me too. Yeah, my, my home could use a tiny hippo. Same. Same, same, same. Um, another gal I want to give a shout out to is Annika. Annika is from, I want to say she's from Germany. Yes, she is mm-hmm. from Germany. Um, and she's very sweet. Um, she's going to be graduating next year. Um, so thank you, Annika, for sending, um, nice messages to us. It really, we really appreciate that. And she was telling me a little bit about, 
um, what was happening in Germany for Halloween. So that was really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Another gal we want to give a shout out is um, Megan Snyder for being a new patron. (laughs) Hi, Megan. Megan. She is a new patron. She is a new patron. We're very excited about it. Yes. Thank you for all all to all of our patrons for paying us to do this. If you if you've got a spare dollar a month and you want to send it our way, check out our Patreon. Yes, please. It goes straight to coffee. <laughs> it goes straight to coffee. Actually, what are we even doing with the money? So right. I mean, I think it's largely covering our cost to host the yes. podcast. So we have 5 extra dollars now. Ooh. So that's exciting. So you, we could get one latte and share it at Starbucks. We can split a latte, which is very COVID safe for, I don't know how we'll virtually split a latte. <laughs> no Maybe we can alternate who gets the latte. You could have the month. latte this month. Oh, thanks. You're, You're a doll. You're welcome. I'll send you a Starbucks gift card. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but yeah, so we appreciate you guys. It's very encouraging. I mean, even if you um, can't you know, donate money to the podcast. Even just like hearing from you guys and hearing your opinions and what you like is very helpful. Yes, we also have had some very interesting developments. We found out actually my lovely husband Tim, who Googles our podcast multiple times a week to tell me how we're doing in various metrics, found out that uh, according to Listen Notes, we found out that Spooky Psychology is now in the top 10% most popular podcasts on the planet. So, Which is insane. It's insane. I mean, given, like, that means that we are in the top 170,000 podcasts right now, but still a win. There's a lot of podcasts yeah. out there, and we're doing better than 90% of them, so we're coming for you. Everyone. Podcasts that are <laughs> slightly better than us. Um, so yeah, that was kind of cool to see, and we even... Um, you know, in Mexico, we were the 11th most popular social services podcast for a while. We, we've we pretty much fallen off of all of the charts because we haven't uploaded an episode in a couple weeks. Um, and that's what happens, right? Like, the rankings really only come the week after we release episodes, yeah. which is totally understandable. So we've been ranking high. We've been getting feedback. We've been hearing good things and uh it's kind of weird that people actually listen to this but we love it like i know you guys listen but it's still weird when we hear about it i think i'm just gonna be in denial for a long time i don't know why i don't know why that's like my response it's just like this can't be true (laughs) obviously we're lying are we becoming podcast conspiracy theorists at this point in time yes we is um, but yeah, I guess we ranked in Ecuador, so what's up, my fellow Latin heats? Lauren's Ecuadorian heat is the sole responsible <laughs> reason why we're doing well in Ecuador. I, I'm honestly, like, wondering, like, do I have, like, distant relatives in Ecuador still who are listening? Please let me know. I speak a yeah. little Spanish. <laughs> I I know several words in Spanish. I feel more comfortable reading it than speaking it. I get insecure, but mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Yeah, I took four years of Spanish. I remember some. I remember sign language better than Spanish, unfortunately. 
Well, I think sign language is really important and it's really cool that you know it. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, and also, I just had a fun idea. What? So I'm going to throw it out there. Lauren, you can veto it and I'll delete it off the episode Great. if we must. But, so, we always do the good shit going on in the world mm-hmm. at the end of every episode. And I thought, since we are coming up around the holidays and the end of 2020, branching boldly into 2021, which hopefully will be better, but who knows at this point. So I thought it would be fun if our listeners could reach out to us and tell them what their good shit for the year is, and we can kind of do a community good shit oh, in I one like of that. our episodes. I thought that could be fun. Um, so if you guys want to reach out at some point in the next few weeks and just tell us what's the best thing that's happened to you in 2020. Yes. Tell us. We want to share it. It's been a bad year, right? But what good things are happening for you? And we can we can share a list of, you know, Spooky Peeps accomplishments and just not even accomplishments, just nice things that have happened to people because even though things are terrible, good things are still happening in the world and it's important that we remember those too. Word. Love that. So. Okay. I'm into it. Send us your good shit. We'll read it on the air. Yeah. Yeah, so, Lauren, would you like to introduce our topic for today? Yes, I would. We are talking about Bizarre Psychological Studies Part 2. There's even more. There's e- There are oh so many. So, um, really, and in this one, I don't even know if our selections for this as are bizarre as much as just really unethical. Really terrible. Really, really terrible, um... We laid, we laid some of the research groundwork in part one of Bizarre Psychological Studies. So if you haven't listened to that, go back, listen to that first. We're not going to do a lot of in- info about how research works. Uh, we're just going to talk in depth about some different studies that have happened um, and what was wrong with them. Right. Why they're terrible. Very exciting. A lot of it will be very obvious to you, but... You may not know. We'll point out the why they're terrible as well. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's pretty self-explanatory, quite frankly. <laughs> so, Lauren, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Um, You go first. Okay. That sounds good. So, I'm going to start off by, by painting you a word picture. Beautiful. Beautiful. I like to really go for it. So, Lauren, I want you to close your eyes and get comfortable. Okay. And imagine a psychological study in which they do literally everything wrong. Mm. From start to finish, everything is unethical. And then I want you to picture that it's not just one psychological study. It's over 150 different studies occurring in 80 different institutions in the United States and Canada and also some prisons overseas. Mm. And not everybody even knows who they're doing research for. So I want you to picture it. I'm picturing a then, train wreck. You're picturing a train wreck. And then realize that who's in charge of this? Ah, yes. The lovely government of the United States. Ba-ba-da. So I'm going to be talking about MK Ultra. Yeah, baby. If no one can figure that out. So MK Ultra. 
is exactly what I said. It's literally, if you imagine a study where they did everything wrong from start to finish, never considered ethics whatsoever, threw everything out the window. That is MK Ultra. Um, so MK Ultra started in the 1950s and went through the 1970s. Like I said, it was hundreds of different studies. I'll touch on a few different ones, um, but I'm going to start off with just some cultural stuff that I think is important to understand when we're even talking about, like, why this was happening. So, realistically... So this happened in the 1950s, specifically started in 1953. So the Cold War was going on at the time, um, and the Korean War was kind of ending. And so if you think about, you know, I don't, I'll give, I don't know how much people actually know about the Cold War, but basically everybody was really terrified of nuclear war, and it was kind of a standoff between us and, you know, Russia, like... We were worried they were going to nuke us. Everybody was worried that we were going to nuke them. It was back and forth. Everybody was very afraid of nuclear war. Um, some kids I've even heard of, like, growing up had to do, at that time, you know, nuclear war drills at school um, and, like, hide under their desks. Just Not like a desk is going to stop you if a nuke no, is dropped on your town. Like, the desk will do nothing. Um, but, you know, good to prep, I guess. And so, people, it wasn't like a real war per se, but everybody was very worried that a very bad war was about to break out. So, a lot of fear was happening. Um, And, um, you know, interestingly enough, so, there was a New York Times released an article in the 1950s stating that soldiers held as prisoners of war in Korea had been converted by communist brainwashers. Uh-oh. So, again, this is something that, you know, you're not... People were coming back. Some people refused to come back to the United States after being prisoners of war. Some people were saying pro-communist stuff, and they interpreted it as brainwashing that communism was the best. Um, obviously, people who have been held as prisoners of war and traumatized might be exhibiting something similar to Stockholm Syndrome, Mm -hmm. might be exhibiting, you know, trauma and other things, but that was the interpretation, so we're not here to uh, really go too deeply into that. But it's just important, it's like everybody was scared, and so our government in the United States thought that other governments had perfected brainwashing techniques. And um, the CIA... Director Alan Dulles, um, in a speech to Princeton grads, said, In the past few years, we have been accustomed to hearing much about the battle for men's minds, the wars of ideology. I wonder, however, whether we clearly perceive the magnitude of the problem, whether we realize how sinister the battle for men's minds has become in Soviet hands. We might call it, in its new form, brain warfare. Um, he also said, we in the West are somewhat handicapped in brain warfare. So, basically, our government thought that other countries had absolutely perfected this. We're behind in the research, so what do we gotta do? We gotta figure out psychological warfare. Um, which, you know, the starting point is not necessarily the worst, right? Because if you're looking at stuff, you know, setting moral and ethical issues of war aside for a moment, kind of looking into psychological warfare and ways to weaken your opponents in battle and make them less effective to save lives or do things that are not fatal. So it's not necess- 
necessarily though i mean it's not great right because they're looking into mind control but it's kind of an interesting thing like their intentions may not have been that bad but their execution of this was terrible i don't actually know their intentions i couldn't find much about that which i will explain why at the end of this um but three days after he gave that speech he approved the start of mk ultra so he gave that speech about brain warfare and then immediately signed this in so mk ultra was a series of top secret experiments exploring the covert uses of biological and chemical materials and just going for brain warfare right Mm -hmm. experiments included electroshock hypnosis polygraphs radiation drugs toxins and chemicals so basically they were exploring what you could use to actually engage in brain warfare, psychological warfare, and essentially control your opponent or control people. Yep. Um, Whether that, they don't really say what the ultimate end goal, whether this was like in combat supposed to be used against the enemy or maybe to control your own soldiers. They didn't really like get to like the point of what they were trying to do. Right. Um, But that was basically what they were trying to do. so, going into our first ethical issue of MK Ultra mm-hmm. is that many people did not consent to being a part of these experiments oh. and to this day do not know that they were part of MK Ultra. So, there were also experiments were run on vulnerable populations including children with cognitive disabilities, prisoners, soldiers, uh And they cited that sexual psychopaths in treatment centers were targeted, but I haven't been able to find any specifics of those studies. Um, But prisoners were heavily used because the government could essentially bribe prisoners into participating in research in exchange for reduced sentencing. So there are massive ethical issues with using prisoners on experiments, particularly experiments that are this dangerous. And a lot of times, even when people knew that they were being part of an experiment, they did not know what the point of the experiment was or what was being done to them. Mm Um, there was also, this is Tim, who just knows a lot about history. He shared this with me last night. He's researched MK Ultra a bit much. Um, also a hefty amount of racism involved in this because most of the soldiers that were targeted were the lowest IQ soldiers that they had because they identified that the lowest IQ soldiers that they had would be as smart as Russians are. Oh my so some heavy racism in who they were targeting in this you know the red scare of the cold war very popular to hate russian people um very popular to kind of think of them as stupid or lots of other things um so um cindy gottlieb was the head of the chemical division of the cia's technical services division um he urged the director of the CIA adults to approve testing LSD as a potential mind control or brainwashing substance. So they were using a lot of drugs here. Um, so really just kind of going into um, what LSD is before I tell you more about that. So I'm sure a lot of people know LSD is better known as acid. um, is a pretty long-acting psychedelic drug, so it can cause effects for up to 12 hours once they kick in. Um, 
things that can happen when somebody is under the influence of LSD. They can basically have an altered sense of self, time, crossover senses, or synesthesia, which is where you can like hear colors, see sounds, different things like that. Changes in sensations and feelings. They basically, you have visual and auditory hallucinations, changes in perception, changes in self. Um, but you can often end up feeling multiple emotions at one time and swinging rapidly from one emotion to another. So it can really destabilize your emotional responses um, while you are under the influence. Some people under LSD will experience feelings of despair, terrifying thoughts, fears of losing control, insanity, and fear of death, which they'll usually talk to you as a bad trip. Um, and the physical side effects can include loss of appetite, trouble sleeping, tremors, dry mouth, seizures, and nausea. Um, so again, they're not, you know... Not everybody's going to have a bad experience with use of LSD. Some people, you know, really, really think positively of it. And there is even some research to suggest that, you know, LSD can actually have positive benefits on mental health in very controlled settings. So I've heard that as well. Yeah, I actually took a... Um, psychedelic studies class in college. It was an honor seminar with uh, Thomas Roberts, who's a pretty good, um, pretty, pretty big name in psychological research. Very, very nice guy. And our first lecture in that class covered, um, literally the title of our first lecture was Why to Not Slip LSD into Your Friend's Coffee. Oh my. And covered entirely what can go wrong when somebody is giving LSD without their consent, right? Oh. Because if you think about it, hallucinating all of these things, it can be very powerful and it can be beneficial. But for those people, they're in a controlled setting and they know that they're taking LSD. And one of the big issues with MK Ultra is that most of the time they did not know they were given LSD. So Imagine people what were that would be like. Like you would think you're going insane. Right? Absolutely. And so, you know, if you think about it, kind of the danger of what can happen with people who are under the influence of LSD without knowing that that's why they're feeling that way. Right. And ultimately, it doesn't seem like there were. There were not things in place to ensure the safety of participants. Um, there was just so much of, like, drugging people, observing them for a bit, and sending them out there without ever telling them that they were on LSD and how long it was going to last. So we don't know the implications of what could have happened. But, like, okay, imagine you give someone LSD and then they drive home. They have no idea that they're on LSD, like what all of the things that could potentially go wrong, because, of course, there's safety concerns with hallucinogens, which is why, you know, they can be used in a beneficial way. But you have to know, ensure safety, have a sitter. All of these different things are important. Right. And just um, kind of go into it knowing like like being a certain mind state of like, I'm, I'm consenting to doing this. I'm going to have a nice time. You know what I mean? Like all of that stuff is important. Mm-hmm, right. Um, so Whitey Bulger, who was a crime boss, um, actually was an inmate test subject in MK Ultra. Hmm. 
He was given LSD in prison. He didn't know that that's what he had been given. Uh, he later told his friends that his plans, if he ever got out to, got out of prison, were to find the researchers and murder them. So he wow. was pretty uh, negatively affected. He said, um, of the test, he said that he had a total loss of appetite, hallucinating. The room would change shape. Hours of paranoia and feeling violent. We experienced horrible periods of living nightmares and even blood coming out of the walls. Guys turning into skeletons in front of me. I saw a camera change into the head of a dog. I felt like I was going insane. Um, well, and imagine, like, the paranoia that could happen, like, afterwards. Like, afraid, like, oh my gosh, like, is it happening again? You know? Yeah, absolutely, especially if they don't know what happened. And a lot of the inmates had eight convicts in a panicked and paranoid state. They were given LSD every single day for months at a time um, to see the long-term effects of if LSD could lead to mind control. Um, so they thought... Basically, MKUltra was particularly interested in LSD because it, Russia was also experimenting with drugs and LSD in the mindset. So the scientists felt that in order to most accurately study its effects in behavior modification and as a truth serum, they needed to test it on people who didn't know that they were being drugged. Okay. Uh, which now... They use placebo studies. That's how they accomplish oh, that now. You don't say. Because you can absolutely <laughs> do this without, you know, people knowing if they got the drugs or not, right? Um, but they just decided that in order to study it, they just had to give unsuspecting people LSD and see what happens. They thought that they could use it to brainwash or control people or use it as a truth serum in interrogations and like prisoners of war. Um, so that's one of the drugs they were doing. So I'm just going to go into a few different, um, specific things that we know happened. So some of the specific studies, because again, this was such a large study. And ultimately, um, a lot of the institutions that were running MK Ultra research did not know that they were doing research for the CIA, so they were funding studies, but people didn't necessarily, even the researchers didn't necessarily know what oh, they were doing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because some of the stuff was run directly by the CIA, CIA. Some was run by, you know, research institutions. Some was happening at universities and they would get um, funding to do certain things, but they didn't necessarily know why they were getting funding and what the general purpose was. Interesting. Um, so... Gottlieb, who was in charge of the chemical division, he was heading up a particular um, particular study called Operation Midnight Climax. Do you want to guess what this involved, Lauren? Just based on the title, any guesses? LSD. LSD, yes. Uh, so and sex. Really, LSD and sex, yeah. Uh, a perfectly reasonable thing to be studying for military operations how does this apply <laughs> how right um because lsd can cause um actually most drugs can have a sexual impact and impact your inhibition and things that you're willing to do to and with other people right uh so this all started in 1955 in san francisco California, in which the CIA, run by you know, Gottlieb, the specific head researcher, uh, he opened up a brothel. As you do. 
as you do, right? So got a house. Um, he apparently decorated it himself. Every article goes very in-depth into the decor. Um, so apparently... Everyone were... has a side hustle. It's fine. <laughs> uh, his interior design skills. Questionable oh. at best. Oh. So there were lots of curtains. Uh, everybody said it was supposed to be a very luxe thing, but it just looked terrible. Like, there was, like, a bunch of bondage art and, like, French paintings. Um, so just kind of a weird mix. But, so they opened up. It was like a CIA safe house that they turned into a brothel. Great. And then they hired a bunch of sex workers to go out and get Johns and to bring them back to this house dose them with LSD, and then have sex with them while CIA operatives watched through a two-way mirror. For what? To observe how it impacted them. Ew. Yeah. And so they specifically uh, say that a lot of the people watching it, they would drink martinis. So they're they conducting like a bunch research. of perverts. They do sound like a bunch of perverts just watching this happen. I have a quote, uh, if you're ready to hear this uh, horrifying, horrifying reality of this. I want direct quotes, go ahead. I have many direct quotes because I'm here for it. So this guy said, I was a very minor missionary, actually a heretic, but I toiled wholeheartedly in the vineyards because it was fun, fun, fun. Where else could a red-blooded American boy lie, kill, cheat, steal, rape, and pillage with the sanction and blessing of the All-Highest? Um, what? (laughs) (laughs) So, basically, that's just like, yeah, I was trying to be a, a good... Presumably, since they're saying, you know, missionary and heretic, presumably good Christian who participated in this study. And, uh, I mean, lying, yeah, killing, cheating, stealing, raping, and pillaging. Yeah, what? Brings up more questions than answers about what these people were actually doing during this study where they're watching people have sex. I mean, I wonder Um, if it was, like, a guise for, like, oh, like, if I'm doing this for my job, it's okay. Right? Like, we have to, to save the country, right? And so, lots of weird stuff happening. Whole lot of weird stuff. But they basically thought that this went so well that they opened multiple other ones. And one of them, they specifically put in a neighborhood that they talked about how it was so popular they could even get people on their lunch break. Which, again... What? brings into question there's no oversight so you're literally taking people who are out looking for sex workers on their lunch break and then dosing them with lsd and then sending them back on their day and like we don't even know the ramifications because like what if one of them was a doctor or a surgeon or a dentist and you put them on lsd driver like like, send them back into the world. Like, it's so... There was so little oversight and, like, no safety precautions. We have no idea what this could have done. Um, I would love to talk to, like, the survivors of this and be like, what was that like for you? Like, And the weird thing is, to this day, most of them still don't know. Oh, my God. They weren't contacted when all of this came out, right? Like, a lot of them never found out. I wonder if they just think, like, 
like I had like this weird like psychotic episode and I never want to tell anybody about it right like the shame also if you think about like Operation Midnight Climax how many men in the 50s are going to be willing to admit that they started hallucinating after going to a brothel on their lunch break right because that's also was illegal. Um, so, you know, prostitution was and is illegal in the United States with the exception of, I think, one county in Nevada. Oh. Or anywhere in Nevada except for Vegas. It is legal under certain circumstances, right? And so, like, at the time, fully illegal. They could have all gotten in trouble for doing so this. So they would never tell anybody. So very unlikely. Um, and the sex workers were paid a hundred dollars a night by the government and guaranteed police protection so if they got arrested for it the cia would intervene and overturn charges for them to make sure that because again what they were doing was illegal we're not going to debate whether or not it should be but it was and still is mostly and so yeah like they paid them to be drugging people yeah so if they're drugging them, would that mean that they didn't have to have sex with them anymore? Oh, they still did. Oh, they for still the most did. Part. Okay. They absolutely still did. So basically, these uh, people were drugging men with LSD and then just watching them have sex. Okay. I don't know if all of them did, but yeah, a lot of them I, still did. I feel did. like and- $100 is not enough. That's just me personally. Well, I think it was $100 and then they still charged the johns oh okay so they would still conduct their business as they did but the government would pay them a hundred dollars a night to also drug them and then would help them not get arrested for their profession got it okay so you know uh that's a that's a fun one moving on to some other other studies um so this one this woman uh dr mary morrow went for she's trying to get a fellowship she was a doctor she wanted to work good for her right um so she was trying to get a job and she was told that due to her history of depression in order to be considered for a job she would need to complete sleep therapy so she thought that sleep therapy would be um occasional like take a sedative sleep in a hospital wake up do whatever so she's like yeah cool i will occasionally like make sure i get really good sleep under sedatives what they actually did to her was and they did this daily so electroconvulsive therapy is oh (laughs) yes is um basically or electroshock therapy can be a highly beneficial medical procedure when done correctly right essentially scientists realized that some people with seizure disorders would exhibit a reduction in depressive symptoms for a period of time after their seizures so nowadays it's done under sedation they sedate people they induce a seizure with as little you know electricity as possible in the hopes that it will impact depression and reduce symptoms. For some people, it works really well. For some people, it doesn't. But that's kind of the same for any treatment. It works for some people and not others. Um, but what they actually did to Dr. Mary Morrow is she was given 67 times the normal dose of electricity to her brain daily. For why? To see if it could control her by doing it. Oh. Um 
So I'm, I got some direct quotes from her. Yes, read about them. this. As she said, he used 67 times the average dose of electric current by pushing the button of the electroshock machine six times in succession rather than one. And besides that, instead of getting it two to three times a week, once one pressed the button, like most physicians do, he gave it in daily successions. Said, I was suspended in space in a deep black hole. I had no idea that I was a human being. I was without knowledge of my appendages. I had no sense of solidity. I was floating. I had no, I was completely disoriented. I thought I was an organism. Um, she demanded that she be released from the Institute. Her mom did after seeing what was happening. She eventually regained what she called her human identity. She realized that her treatment had nothing to do with healing, and she suffered permanent brain damage. Oh, shit. Um, she says, a lot of this is unintelligible, this quote. It says, in a nutshell, my life today is in a shadow. I'm left with permanent difficulty, which is called, and that's just, they couldn't tell what she says, um, you know, it's, she's like, if I met you in a different situation tomorrow, I wouldn't even know who you were. Oh, that fucking To the person sucks. she's interviewed, yeah. Um, and so that that's just one of them, right? Where they were just trying to see if they could control people's mind. And in essence, like this woman who was a doctor, so obviously a very intelligent woman, mm-hmm. ended up... And like, again, she agreed to do sleep therapy for her depression not electroshock therapy not this experimental high dosage um so again like just so unethical she didn't know what treatment she was doing it does not sound like there were good safety recalls they were doing a much higher dosage and a higher frequency literally to see if they could control her brain how terrible um so then there are switching up my order on these slides a bit to see. So, um, really looking at, there were a few deaths related to MK Ultra that we know of. Um, so, and like I said, again, they weren't necessarily doing a lot of safety protocols and following up. So there likely were other deaths. Again, if somebody's hallucinating and driving home, Maybe somebody crashed a car. Maybe somebody thought they were going crazy and killed themselves, right? Like, you don't really know what happened. So it is possible that there are many more deaths related to this than we actually know about. Um, But one was a man by the name of Frank Olson. Um, So I just started watching it. There is a Netflix uh, documentary called Wormwood about Frank Olson featuring oh, his son. Oh, I think I saw the beginning of that one. Yeah, so I watched like two episodes last night. I haven't finished it, but it was pretty good so far. Um, so Frank Olson was a United States Army biochemist and biological weapons researcher. Um, in November of 1953, he was given LSD without his knowledge or consent as part of the experiment. So that's another thing that I find really interesting about these series of experiments is it wasn't just citizens. Apparently, a lot of CIA employees were also given LSD without their consent to see. So some they're like, yeah, you just give it to your coworkers. <laughs> what? I can't hear you. Oh, you can't? No. Can you now? No, I can't. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I accidentally hit the like, mute button. Um, I could see your mouth moving, and I was like, I can't hear you. Yeah, no, that's that's insane. Like, I can't imagine, mm-hmm. like, doing that to, like, a coworker and just being like, oh, hey, how was your weekend? <laughs> yeah. 
But, like, literally, so at this, basically, they were on, like, a retreat thing, and they gave all of the people on the retreat LSD without their knowledge and explained MKUltra and what they were going to be doing. Um, and so he was given it, and basically, looking into this, um, they're... So basically, the CIA said that they conducted the experiment with Olson's prior knowledge, saying, but Olson and the other man taking part in the experiment were not informed what drug they were taking until 20 minutes after they had taken it. Uh, the report suggests that he had been due a when failed to take into account his already diagnosed suicidal tendencies, which may have been exacerbated by the LSD, allegedly. So basically, a week after he um, had taken the LSD, he jumped out of the 13th story of a window in New York City. I think I've heard this story. He jumped or they they said that he fell or jumped um, out. That's what the official report says. And there's a lot going on of like, you know, he didn't want to, did he not want to participate in the experiment? Was he trying to quit? Was he murdered by the CIA? Like, there's a lot of confusion. Um, his family disputes the official version of events. They believe that he was murdered um, because he became a security risk who could, who knew state secrets with a highly classified program and was, you know, had some issues with it. So a few days before his death, he quit his position as acting chief of the Special Operations Division because of a severe moral crisis concerning the nature of his biological weapons research. So he had just quit and then he died while under the supervision of doctors who were given um, by the CIA to monitor him. Mm. So there's some forensic evidence from when... He's bot. They had the family had his body exhumed. There's some evidence that he may have been unconscious before he exited the window. So there's some confusion. There is some shadiness about what actually happened. Um, extreme shade. Extreme shade. So President Gerald Ford did actually apologize um, for <laughs> the actions of the government. Yeah, like the like, government. I'm sorry. <laughs> they did officially apologize later um and he the family received a settlement and there were other things but there was a huge issue with it where they were like the stuff that we saw was all redacted we never got the full story of what actually happened right and the thing is um something that you really learn about in the wormwood show because they're interviewing one of his sons so basically they came to the house after their dad died and he like went on a trip to see some doctors because of his moral crisis and like get some help right sure. and then he died and they're saying that like their family was told that he either jumped or fell out the window and was dead and then that's all that they were told when it happened and then 20 years later when all of this started breaking out into the public a newspaper article specifically mentioned a scientist fell to their death in New York City in this year, and that was connected. They didn't tell the family that that was their dad. They had to get lawyers and do all of this stuff to confirm that they were talking about their father's death in the papers. My God. And so there was just so much there for this poor family. So it was 20 years after his death when they found out about that he had been drugged and this was this research that was going on. And... um 
you know, again, you don't know if it was directly related to him having taken LSD, right? But he clearly had some moral issues with what was happening and had quit his job and then died mysteriously. So that's kind of one of them. Yeah, which is just like... Also, just a sad story. Again, I strongly recommend watching Wormwood to just hear directly from the sun his perspective on events. Um, Because they interview his actual son, right? Yeah, they do interview his actual son. And the thing is... um, so much of this was redacted. So much of what they found, um, which I'll talk about a bit more in a minute, but it's very unclear the full, like, what actually happened in MKUltra. Like, it's very much a real thing, and the government has admitted it's a real thing. Like, the quotes from the doctors that I was just reading are from a publication on the cia.gov library like they do admit that this did happen good lord Um, so something this is more of this is something that can't be proven it's a bit of like a myth about mk ultra i'm just gonna throw out there there's the murray project which was at harvard it was an experiment intended to measure how people react under stress Mm -hmm. he subjected his unwitting students to intensive interrogation which he called himself vehement sweeping and personally abusive attacks assaulting his subjects egos and cherished ideals or beliefs one of the subjects of that study was ted kaczynski the unabomber what yeah so a lot of people will say um that that's kind of it's it falls more under conspiracy theory it can't actually be proven that the murray project was part of mk ultra and led to ted kaczynski's hatred of scientists which led to the you know I mean, kaczynski himself has denied that that study had anything to do oh. with him becoming the unabomber so he says that nobody really knows for sure if it was mk ultra related or not because again if they were funding studies that could be used for it they didn't always know there is no evidence at this point to conclusively confirm that that was related and kaczynski himself has said in correspondence with journalists that it had nothing to do and he stands by his uh manifesto that explains why he did it he's like unrelated to the murray project so i just want to throw that out there because that I wonder comes up a lot what like the long-lasting impacts of something like that would be though you know mm-hmm. yeah i mean and he specifically said it wasn't actually that bad there was only one day where they were interrogated he's like it was like an hour it wasn't oh okay so that was kind of his perspective hmm. on it um but a couple things so getting to the end of MK Ultra, some facts and some of how it ended. So again, it had, you know, 80 institutions in the United States and Canada. Not everyone knew. Um, some famous people who were um, subjects in MK Ultra that are known subjects. Uh, Ken Kesey, the author of One Flew Under the Cuckoo's Nest, got LSD in an experiment sponsored by MK Ultra. Um, Robert Hunter, who is the lyricist for The Grateful Dead. One of the great purveyors of LSD culture first got LSU from MK Ultra. <laughs> Allen Ginsberg, the poet who preached the value of the great personal adventure using LSD, first got it in MK Ultra. Um, so it is really interesting that the government, who has historically been so anti the drug heavy counterculture movement, actually created it by giving several of these influential people lsd and experiments that led to their love of it so that's just kind of funny interesting Um, yeah 
kind of going on to some other things that happened in MKUltra. Um, MKUltra was essentially, according to some, a continuation of work that began in Japanese and Nazi concentration camps. Um, not only was it based on some things they were doing, but the CIA did hire actual Nazi concentration camp scientists who were running the experiments to help. Oh, okay. And provide information so that they could build on their research. Um, you know, Nazi doctors had conducted extensive experiments with mescaline at um, the Daucho concentration camp. Is mescaline um, mushrooms? Or is that psilocybin? Psilocybin. Psilocybin. I think mescaline. It's, it's a, it might be peyote, but I'm not quite remembering. Mescaline. Is that in right now? It's, Hang on. It's I'm a Google hallucinogen. It. Google it. It's a hallucinogen. Okay. Uh, uh, from peyote. Yep. You're from right. peyote. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that. So they did the experiments. So they hired Nazis doctors who had been doing those experiments to come on and teach us more experiments um which a lot of the united states did hire quite a few nazi scientists to come and help with things on their research so that's always again an interesting complicated thing um and one of the issues with mk ultra and why we don't know as much as we should quite frankly is because you know kind of at the end of this so a lot of them, you know, talking about some of the researchers and, like, there was no oversight on this. So, like, they had the checkoff from their boss and from the CIA director, but none of them really knew all that much about what the experiment was. So this is talking about um, Gottlieb, who was one of the main scientists. They were like, literally no one was looking over his shoulder he was allowed to requisition human subjects across the United States and around the world and kind of do whatever he wanted with very little oversight. So this was like a completely unregulated series of studies. The government did sign off on it. Right. But there wasn't, like, now we have the Institutional Review Board that double-checks that you're ethical and checks all of your studies and there's a lot of oversight. This There was no oversight on this study. And then... At the end, 1973 experiments ended, and the people in charge of the experiments... You want to know what they did when this was all coming to an end? Want to take a lucky guess? I don't know. Tell me. They destroyed almost all documentation. Of course they about did. About MKUltra. So, yeah, most... And that's why we don't know the full extent of what studies were doing, of what happened to research subjects, because... They, it, and even a lot of people talk who are involved in this study talk a lot about how they knew the public would freak out, so they kept it very on the down low, and they specifically destroyed stuff knowing it was all going to come out to try to kind of protect the research as much as possible, um, which is super unethical to destroy all of your findings. So there were things that happened. The government has changed regulations. You cannot do research giving people drugs without their consent. Um, unless it's like a placebo thing, 
Um, so they, they have changed a lot, but even in a lot of the ethical boards that happened to review MK Ultra and work through it, mm -hmm. they were relying heavily on people's testimony because oh. they didn't have research. And a lot of people were like, I don't recall what happened. So it was like, there's so much unknown about this. And we know how unreliable testimony is nowadays, you know? Right. And so that's kind of the interesting thing is because so much is shredded, like even the stuff that Frank Olson's family was given about his death, they're like, everything they had was heavily redacted, because even with, like, the Freedom of Information, like, act, right, things, so our government's documents do come out a certain number of years mm -hmm. later, right? Like, they do release stuff, but they're allowed to redact it. So pretty much everything that's been released on MKUltra has been heavily redacted, and a lot of the original stuff doesn't even exist anymore. So it's really this big, like, there was no informed consent from participants. There was no yeah. oversight. There was no, like, safety checks and, like, check-ins and all of and these things. And follow-up with the people that participated in the research. Yeah. Right. And so um, this was just one of the big ones where they just did everything wrong, ethically speaking. Like, they just kind of, like, from start to finish, it was a big mess. And believe it or not, the conclusion of this entire project was that human mind control is not possible. Oh, so 20 well, now years we of know. experiments, yeah, to figure out it wasn't possible with no oversight. So obviously there's so much more about MK Ultra we could go into. It's such a big topic, it's such a big one, but super unethical from start to finish and lots of ethical violations we don't even know about because there's no paperwork. This blows. Yeah. But more importantly, just because I know we didn't really touch on it in this episode, but if you go back, we talked about it more in depth um, on our first uh, bizarre psychological experiments episode. Um, there are things put in place now to make yeah. sure that this shit doesn't happen again. So, like, the IRB is, like, a huge, huge thing that makes sure that your um, research is ethical. They follow up with people. They won't even let you start something until they approve it and look at all mm -hmm. the different details of it. Like, this this can't and won't happen again. Hopefully. Hopefully. Unless somebody's doing something super secretive, but... Yeah. So that was just a brief overview just of MK Ultra. Just a touch. Alright. I'm gonna go into something that's also depressing. Um, Woo! <laughs> All right, so the one I'm talking about today is the Aversion Project. Mm. All right, guys. Um, I guess we should have probably put a trigger warning for all of this, but, um, well, in the Aversion Project, if you identify as LGBTQ, this might be hard to hear, so just a warning. Um, so this happened in South Africa. Um, it was led by Dr. Aubrey Levine, um, who is a psychiatrist, and this occurred um, during a time called the apartheid. And so I honestly, and I was talking to Megan about this before, I had honestly not known that this had existed in South Africa. Um, so I'll give you guys a little bit of history in case <laughs> you don't like know to too. Point out, I did learn about it, which just showcases just the complete randomness of the American public education system. <laughs> I mean, I thought my school district was okay. 
Apparently but not. They. No. Actually, um, though, the school district I went to was like one of the best public school districts in the country when I was there. So, like, that's good. Not a good comparison necessarily because it was pretty decent, but still a problem. Mine, but, mine was a little rough. Like, yeah, they called my school the medicine cabinet because everybody was on <laughs> drugs. Anyway, what a time! What a time to be alive. Um. So anyway. There, this was a period of time in South Africa and Southwest Africa, um, which include institutionalized racial segregation. Um, so segregation happened in South Africa as well. Um, so it started in 1948 until the early 1990s. Um, so apartheid, um, I'm pretty sure, is South African for like apart or like apartness. Um, but what they were doing is, um, basically they were encouraging white supremacy, um, which ensured that South Africa was dominated politically, socially, and economically by the nation's minority white population. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first apartheid law was the Prohibition of Mixed Marriages Act, um, that happened in 1949, so they weren't allowing mixed marriages to exist, um. This followed closely by the Immortality Amendment Act of 1950, which made it illegal for most South Africans to marry or pursue sexual relationships across race lines. Um, then there was something called the Population Registration Act in 1950 that classified all South Africans into one of four racial groups based on appearance, known ancestry, socioeconomic status, and cultural lifestyle. Um, so it was black, white, colored and Indian. Uh, the last of the two, um, which included several subclassifications. Um, so what happened was um, places of residence were determined by your racial, cl racial classification. So kind of similar to how it was in the States. Um, between 1960 and 1983, 3.5 million Africans were moved from their homes and forced into segregated neighborhoods as a result of the apartheid legislation. Um, and this was known as some of the largest mass evictions in modern history. Most of these removals were intended to restrict the black population to 10 designated tribal homelands, quote unquote, um, four of which became nominally independent states. The government then announced that relocated persons would lose their South African citizenship as they were absorbed into what was known as the Bantustans, I think is how you pronounce it. So this is what was going on at the time. So here's the deal. So during this era in South Africa, um, there was a dual policy about homosexuality in the South African military. So what they basically... Um, believed or encouraged is that you technically could be part of the military if you considered yourself homosexual um but they would find a way to help you quote unquote not be homosexual um so they wanted bodies but they definitely frowned upon homosexuality um mm -hmm. so the solution <laughs> With dealing I'm with saying solution very lightly here. <laughs> yeah. With dealing with homosexuality was a type of therapy that Dr. Levine came up with. So we're so, you know, grateful for him. I'm being very, very totally. sarcastic yeah. right now, by the way. Um, oh my god. So anyway, so Dr. Levine 
um, had treated what he considered disturbed patients in the past, um, but also really wanted to help soldiers cure, quote unquote, this mental illness of homosexuality. So his focus um, of his experiments were homosexuals and drug users for some reason. Okay. Um, so commanding officers and chaplains were encouraged to refer deviants for treatment. Mm. Um, so the average age of the people that Dr. Levine saw were between 16 and 24 years old. So pretty young. And these Mm -hmm. like small, I mean, kids you would consider, um, were being drafted into the military at the time. Um, in South Africa, it was called something else. It's not called a draft, but it's like the same premise. Um, so this was considered a qualitative research study that helped to further examine why homosexuality was considered to be unusual behavior at that time. So, um, for the people that were part of the study, um, their families were actually, um, interviewed and friends were interviewed in order to obtain in-depth firsthand experiences with those quote unquote directly impacted. Um, and I'm, I'm laughing cause it's, it's nowadays, like we know, like this isn't like a mental illness, like, but anyway, mm-hmm. so basically, um, so if you look at it just from that standpoint, like it's good that they were asking like different perspectives of other people in their lives just to like understand homosexuality better but then it takes a really sharp turn and gets exceedingly worse i mean it doesn't seem like they were really trying to understand it right in like a nice way. in a nice way they're like let's understand it so we can beat it out of people exactly so yes this was the problem so basically um dr levine was convinced he could make heterosexuals out of his homosexual patients using electroconvulsive therapy. Which, again, is now considered a legitimate therapy when done in a very specific way, but its history is not great. Right. Like, this was before, like, trials had been done. There wasn't a lot of people overseeing the research. Like there And they were... weren't sedated. Right. During it. Like, now the doses are much lower and you're under general anesthesia. Right. So, um, the treatment consisted of strapping electrodes to the upper arm with wires running into... Running to a dial calibrated from 1 to 10. Um, homosexual soldiers were shown pictures of naked men and encouraged to fantasize. Which, I don't know about you, but, like, I wouldn't be able to do that with like a room full of people and like wires being attached to myself it's a lot like uh the early masters in johnson yeah studies um which maybe we can cover that'd some be kind of fun because yeah. I, I do i'm a big fan of um just learning about that type of research because it's fascinating but in that one they would basically record people having sex or they had a um they essentially had a large dildo that had a camera in it and they were studying how the vagina responds to an orgasm and it would literally they take women and just be like here you're in a room full of people masturbate with this glass dildo full of cameras while we all watch you and it's i am amazed that they were able to get results under those circumstances because it baffles me 
it's that it's a it's incredible yeah um but yeah so essentially kind of the same deal so like okay here look at these naked men um and while you do that we are going to turn up the electrodes until you can take the pain no further um and then immediately after they were shown an image of a naked woman Mm -hmm. so again like if you're really thinking about this from like a reinforcement standpoint they're still in pain from being like electrocuted basically like so what you're doing is you're establishing connections between the pain and naked women as well so like i don't understand the pain and naked people yeah in general so not effective but for many reasons let's go on um so basically um there was somebody named Trudy Grobler. So she was an intern psychologist on Ward 22 where this happened. And she had seen a lesbian subjected to such severe shocks that her shoes flew off, which is like wow. insane. Um, and she was quoted to say, it was traumatic. I cannot believe her body could handle it. Understandable. Very wow. traumatic. Um, so Dr. Levine believed that this treatment could also cure drug addicts, um, mostly men caught smoking marijuana. Ugh. So problematic. Just let them be high. Right. Let people be high and have sex with whoever they want to. Like. As long as everyone's consenting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um. So there were also just people who didn't want to serve in the apartheid military. And he also would treat them. Um, So they were tagged as disturbed. So when patients would get to Word 22, they were stripped of their clothes and shoes and given brown pajamas. The army said that would help prevent escapes. I don't know how. Um, I guess they would notice them better if they were escaping. Um, Well, also if they didn't have shoes. True. Um, So every new patient was put on Valium. Um, and the ward orderlies were told to carry pistols. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Levine used, um, narcoanalysis or a truth drug. I'm not entirely sure what that is. I'm guessing Mm -hmm. some sort of LSD. Um, uh, it looks like, uh, it's a barbiturate. Oh. So there are some drugs that they think will make you be more truthful or might make, lower your inhibitions in a way that may make you slightly more truthful. Oh, okay. So yeah, so an, a barbiturate. Um, one gay soldier, Jean Erasmus, um, was actually chemically castrated. Mm. So... Again, just really horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so before he actually ended up committing suicide, he recorded a tape detailing the broader abuse of homosexuals in the army, and he included how he was forced by his officers to participate in a gang rape of an Angolan woman and how other gay soldiers were given hormone drugs. Mm-hmm. So just really, really out of control instructions um and then he had a quote that said i am quite convinced that a a few murders of gay people took place while we were never which we will never know of and it was covered up most people got trigger happy and gays were often the brunt of the bullet it's very sad Mm -hmm. um 
So then um, I had some other quotes that I wanted to share. Um, there is someone who identified themselves as Harold who came out later and said um, they are finally trying to fight back against South Africa's military. Um, and this person felt that, um, well, what essentially happened to Harold is they had turned him from male to female by chemically castrating him. Mm -hmm. Um, but obviously he still identifies as a male and he's trying to fight back, um, against the military, which allowed this to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think they would like chemically castrate and then do hormone and then give them the opposite sex's hormones. Right. To try to transition them to cure homosexuality. Right. Which nobody wanted this. Like, it's Mm -mm. just, it's very terrible. Um, So uh, Harold says, I now know that in one sense, I was just unlucky. The army had a had a whole gay battalion who they just shunted aside and let be. But if things went wrong and you ended up in the hands of the psychologists, then it could get very bad. In my case, it began with the electric shocks and only ended after they'd already given me breasts. And then Army said it had abandoned the whole policy. So again, just like getting chemically castrated, getting the hormone therapy, um, getting breasts implanted, like just out of control. Um, between 79 to 81, or sorry, 1971, 79 to 1981, there are approximately 900 cases of forced sex changes that took place. And there's also another um, study that's pretty famous in the United States of a boy, I'm not remembering his name. I know what you're um, talking about. Where he was circumcised as a baby, as many baby boys in America are, and they messed it up and ended up burning off most of his penis Yep, and told his parents that essentially surgically transitioning him to female and giving him hormones was the only way that he could reach sexual maturity, um, which they were actually trying to study what happened when they transitioned him. He did end up completing suicide as an adult, um, like forcing someone to be a different gender than what they are does not tend to have good psychological outcomes. Exactly. It causes a lot of depression, a lot of, um, gosh, what's the word? What's the word of just feeling kind of, like, dissociative, like, within your body? Dysmorphia. Dysmorphia. Yes. Um, so yeah. So, you know, to this day, like, we're, we're seeing how people are impacted by that. Um, so basically, after all this had happened... Dr. Levine immigrated to Canada. Um, and <laughs> Shout out to our Canadian listeners. Does if you anybody him, know him? <laughs> let us know. Let us know. Let us know his whereabouts. Um, so the Truth and Reconciliation Commission actually went after Dr. Levine um, and said that he was an abuser of human rights, which, yeah, that's, yep. that's valid. Um, which is why he moved to Canada to get away from that. Um, so actually, um, the Guardian, the news outlet, found him and spoke to him. Um, he currently works at a teaching hospital and said he only left South Africa 
um, because of the high crime rate yeah. and denied any accusations against him. Mm-hmm. So he's a real peach um, yeah. and he's out there teaching people right now. That he is. So if you know where he is, let us know. Don't stalk him or anything, but be but weary. Be curious. <laughs> but yeah, so that was the erosion project um, that happened in South Africa. And, you know, obvious, I shouldn't say obviously, but hopefully it's obvious to you guys, all of the unethical practices that happened in this study. You cannot force people to change their sexuality or their gender. Um and most importantly, I think in both of our stories, like people have to consent to participate in things. You can't force people to do things like this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, you know, conversion therapy is still legal in certain yeah. parts of the United There's, like, States. There's camps. There's camps, um, which the thing is you can't change someone's gender or sexual orientation it kind of it is what it is and it might be fluid across the lifespan which is fine but it's not for anybody else to change and you know it's horrible that so much this has happened and in a lot of conversion camps like using pornography and like beating people or electrocuting them are still common methods there is no evidence that it works nope it doesn't in fact, we see a lot of, like, suicides and mm-hmm. severe depression and anxiety, PTSD. Like, that's what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. What an uplifting episode. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, though, I mean, these are the psychological pieces of research. And, like, obviously like what you can take away from like the aversion study is like you can't treat people to not be homosexual you can't force somebody to accept a a different gender than what they're comfortable with Mm -hmm. um so we learned it the hard way so i think we should stop trying to do that just stop well and i mean it's also like you can't control people right that's the whole thing with mk ultra you can't you absolutely you cannot drug someone or electrocute someone into doing what you want them to do long term like mind control isn't possible so stop it everyone come (laughs) on the message of the come on just stop just stop Ugh. But anyway, so hopefully that was interesting to you guys. I mean, some of you may have heard of these before, um, but some of you may not have. But yeah, a lot of just terrible research has happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, we got to learn from it. We got to learn about the history so that we don't repeat stupid things. Yeah, we can't pretend this didn't happen. Right. But it did. we need to do better. Yes, we do. So thank you, Lauren. That was very informative. Yes, and yes. horrifying. And horrifying. I hate that. I hate that for humanity. Yeah. <laughs> so, what? Uh, what's your good shit? Hard transition. Hard transition. Um. <laughs> so, do you remember like the SNL skit in the '90s, um, where there was like the holidays? Um, there were like the two like ladies and like christmas fest talking about like oh like we're so and so we're gonna talk about all these like um 
like treats for the holidays or whatever. And I want to say Alec Baldwin came on. You would talk about like his sweaty balls. Yes. yes. Do you know that sh- skit? I okay. do. Yes, I do know the sweaty balls skit. Okay, wonderful. Second part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Jackie from Cafe and Bar. So we actually did a live show at Cafe and Bar uh, last around last Halloween when the podcast first started. Um, she's actually selling sweaty balls, so it's like chocolate, like, like rice crispy and like, like uh, kind of like donut treats. So if you're local and you can support cafe and bar, go buy your sweaty balls. Get some sweaty balls. Great. That's yeah. Amazing. I was That's... like, I was like, I love this so much. I will fully support you and buy some. That's pretty great. I know. So '90s throwback. 90s throwback very nice very nice yes what's your good shit (sighs) my good shit um you know i yeah so my good shit for this week other than how amazing this podcast is doing is um kind of a really really weird one very personal level but on monday i fell pretty bad in the parking lot um, so I have massive bruises all over my legs right now that are really annoying, but I didn't sprain anything, actually. Like, I oh, only good. got, I mildly sprained both of my ankles, but they're not too bad, uh, which for me is really impressive. So big good shit that I did not get, because I've torn a ligament in my right ankle twice, and that's yeah. the one that I, so it's always, like, really scary when I do fall, which happens a lot because of my condition, and so it's, like, just very grateful that I did not get badly injured this time because it could have been bad and I did not so I am I'm very grateful for that right now good and hopefully you know we both just continue to stay healthy through this like cold flu COVID season it's cold flu COVID season um so yeah send us your good shit yes we want to hear yours please we would love to hear it um you can follow us my therapy instagram is megan baker lcsw i have not been on in weeks but i will return and mine is lauren underscore malika m-o-l-l-i-c-a l-m-f-t at instagram i also have not really been on but enjoy we like many americans have really just with the whole election just been avoiding social media yeah uh because people's opinions everybody wants to scream their opinion into the void right now and i don't want to keep reading people screaming their opinions into the void so i've been (laughs) avoiding it it really is um and you can follow our facebook at spooky psychology st charles and if you want to become a patron um, we are on Patreon, if you just look up our podcast name. Um, and if you if you can't, uh, we just appreciate you leaving reviews um, mm-hmm. and just giving us feedback on what you think. Review. Subscribe. Rate, subscribe. Download. Download, please, instead of streaming. We appreciate that. Help us get more accurate metrics because we are trying to monetize this year. Because theoretically, if we're that high up in percentages of popular podcasts we should eventually be able to get some ads which might annoy you guys but it'll mean we get paid to do this which means we can do it for longer so yeah uh hopefully that'll that'll happen word so all right guys well thanks for getting spooky thanks bye bye